0: Hi everybody, Dan Davis here. Uh, Today we're going to be listening to and talking about Patrick Gleason's Star Wars. Uh, We'll get to that in more detail during the episode, but just wanted to let you know ahead of time. Um, We're going to be playing, you know, some fairly long selections from the album. Uh, You know, we left songs in their entirety and they tend to be like five to seven minutes long uh, in in a lot of cases, so just wanted to give you a heads up. Also, the tracks you're going to be listening to are Star Wars theme and Tatooine Desert from side A. And from side B, you're going to be listening to the Cantina music, Princess Leia's theme, and Ben Kenobi's theme. All right, uh, enjoy the episode, and we'll see you guys at the end for notes as well. Bye bye. In five, four... Did we already... I'm just, I'm just gonna... We're just gonna keep recording, even though I... We're yeah.
1: gonna do, like, five intros for we're one gonna episode. Do five
0: intros. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the episode. It's been a bit... Oh, my God. It has been much too it long. Is, it has been a bit... We've been working on two episodes... Correction. The last time we were working on episodes that weren't the disco one. It was a JFK record, and it was one about uh, politicians and stuff like that. And... um and we have still yet not finished those episodes. And we just kind of figured we'd rather move on. Or at least I figured that, and
1: Kevin agreed. We'll come know. back to those. We'll, we'll don't come back worry. to those eventually. At some point. I'm checking the time right now. We will come back to them at some point. <laughs> at some point. At some, Looking
0: at our watch, months from now. It's that. That's what. It's exactly. Now, exactly. I mean, did, wait. No, does your actually? You probably have. Mine does have a date. So. What oh, is that? What is that? Is it it's a Fitbit. Fit yeah, oh, that's It's cool. the Charge Two.
1: Yeah. I have a. Casio. I'm going to leave that where it lies, yes. because I remember the John Oliver bit. We have we have literally gotten about 30 seconds into this episode and derailed already. And derailed already. Oh,
0: that's what we're supposed to do. It is it is unbelievably hot in my apartment. It is uh,
1: Sunday, May 21st. And, uh, yeah. That's... And as anybody who does recording knows, you have to turn off all ambient noise, so the fan that was Everything. keeping this cool is long gone. I think we've even had this conversation... In one of our previous episodes. I know, but it's just, it really is so hot today. Like, this is, like, steam bath-like level,
0: like, well, I mean, look, the, the the delirium that we're going to experience while we're recording this is probably going to contribute a lot to the the quality of the episode. Wonderful. In a positive
1: way. And with that, we will tell you the episode right now, and it is, since, I, I, uh,
0: uh, if you couldn't tell from the, the music that led you into this episode, we are doing... Patrick Gleason Star Wars, which, um, is another just happy, I was at Amoeba and I like to go through the soundtrack section, not because I'm looking for stuff for the show, because there is this kind of trend that's happening now where there's all these, um, really cool soundtrack vinyl that are being released, like by a few companies like Mondo and a couple of other ones, Mondo, uh, they, they did that alien, um, magazine that i have out there oh okay that makes sense um but yeah so the just a lot of really cool like neat looking vinyl releases the kind of stuff i wouldn't get because it's like almost pure kind of like display and it's like for me i want to listen to it and i know that if i got like a film soundtrack unless it was like a film soundtrack that had a lot of um whatchamacallit's like like i have the one for american graffiti but the soundtrack for american graffiti has like a lot of like 50s music and 60s music that i like and you know so that one, you know that for me, that's the kind of soundtrack stuff I would look for, but um, it's just kind of cool to look at the vinyl and to look at the packaging and actually get to like hold it and see it and stuff. And this was just here in the Star Wars section, and this packaging, this this packaging, it's I just love it. it's like Patrick Gleason Star Wars and it's just like nothing, not even a, and I'm sure it's because all the imagery is copyrighted, but just this a synthetic skull is the closest this weird spacey skull with moons rushing oh yeah those are moons
1: i thought they were just random circular sci-fi things
0: yeah Yeah. and it's got a tooth missing and it's just like there's no explanation as to why this is the cover art on this nope is does it say who does the cover art uh i have not seen that yet on no it doesn't i don't even think it says does it say anything I don't... Illustration. I do oh. Peter Lloyd. Hold on. <laughs> Peter Lloyd, Mike Dowd, Marilyn Roman. 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 It's R-O-M-E-N. Roman? 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 Oh, there really were a significant number of people who worked on this record. I'm just looking at this. Okay, so uh, before we jump into that, and while Kevin's doing a little bit of research to sort of explain, so Patrick Gleason is an electronic artist who... Um, I mean, he's, I think on some level, probably the more famous things he's done is he's, I don't know if been producer, but he's been kind of like, uh, 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 he's a bit player on a lot of different electronic records. Like I think he was involved with some of Devo's early work and stuff like that. Like he was, he was one of those, uh, I, I hate to call him like a session synth guy, but I mean, in context, it kind of makes sense that like Patrick Gleason would have ended up on a fair amount of records because this is still a fairly specialized field of instrumentation.
1: And in 1977, if you were going to be having any kind of synthetic music, you needed somebody right. who was essentially an industry person. Right. With
0: and, and this is this is before you really start getting like you know I mean probably the, the, the I imagine there were probably affordable modules, but the thing that he made uh, uh, this Key word record with made made. It was this massive, massive kind of like, you know, like patch bay kind of huge thing that was only, they only made like what, like a couple hundred of them? All together, and uh, if you look it up, they made it for universities and stuff. It's called the EMU, Uh, it's a big, big modular synthesizer that was really famous for uh, uh, its sampling. And their
1: systems are still around as well. They're very well known in, in the synthesizer market.
0: This was actually a thing while I was listening to it, and, and I, because uh, it is mentioned that there, there, of course, is some stuff that isn't, like, synthesized, like the voices, and he mentions the violins here on this very incredibly lengthy um, uh, uh, insert that he's written, basically like a short essay you know.
1: And that's that's how about why he did this and how he did this. To be to be entirely honest, when we first listened to this, we kind of took it incredulously of Look, well, is that the for, reason right. behind this this recording? Well, why does he feel he, the He need? opens
0: it up. Let's see. I think I, this is really fascinating. About 3 years ago, I heard a rumor that George Lucas, one of my favorite film directors, was going to make a science fiction film called Star Wars. It immediately occurred to me that all the, uh, that of all the people in the world that could possibly make the music for such a film, it ought to be me who made it. Ought to be is such a funny concept, though, because it usually doesn't work out that way or because it usually doesn't work out that way. Uh, I felt that it needed more of a traditional instrumentation performed by, very beautifully by the London Symphony Orchestra for the film. After going to see the film and loving it, I still felt that another approach was possible, one that did involve synthesizers and which was more surreal than the scoring of the original. Um, and he talks about he got together with some friends and how they, how they worked on it. But it's like, we're thinking, okay, that
1: sounds, just like you think. And really to, to express that, when he, when he says, and he even references in those notes, I brought together some friends. His friends include... Major developers from Moog, from Emu, from right? Other so the, synthesizers That's the thing. In Patrick Gleason
0: was clearly one of these like early adopter, big deal kind of guys. Uh, uh, was an acquaintance of Wendy, or possibly like a protege of Wendy Carlos. I believe so. It was about a ten old If difference. you guys remember <clears throat> Wendy Carlos when we were talking about a uh, Switched, Switched on, on Bach, Bach. Um, but yeah, so so there clearly is like a real pedigree here and. I think what we can come to about this record is that it's kind of a really neat experiment,
1: especially too as you started reading it that second time, especially out loud, it kind of dawned on me that it reads more like a personal essay, like you were saying. Right. Like this is this is something you would kind of hear from a college student who's writing a paper right. on on a book. No, he, f- he figured he figured okay, electronic music is perhaps maybe
0: almost into vogue, or it's like this is the music of the future. This is the biggest sci-fi movie. So figuring he could probably make a couple bucks on it, not cynically, but just being like, you know, a, a, an interpretation, a, an interpretation of it that, you know, would, would go places. I don't know if this was a record that sold pretty well, but it probably did okay. I mean, since it
1: said Star Wars, I don't know. Since, sure that
0: was... since it's Star Wars related and isn't like some of the knockoff Star Wars sci-fi movies that were coming out at the time, one of which they, oh, what was it? Um, have you seen the new mystery science theater episodes yet? I'm partway through. Okay, there's one, though, I forget the name of it, the sci-fi movie. This will have to be a note at the end, because I, I just don't feel like... Is it that Time Machine have. one? No, it's not the Time Machine one. Okay. It's the, uh... That's where I've left off. It's, it's this, it's a sci-fi space movie about scantily clad women and people with bad 70s haircuts, and I think David Hasselhoff is in it. Okay, I need to get back and it's on. And it's got a, a Texan-sounding uh, robot cop space adventure you can't see my face on the podcast but it's it's right so so following star wars there's a lot of exploitation going on but this actually i don't i don't think really fits into that this is like kind of a a a loving kind of like tribute to a, a film score that really clearly affected a lot of people immediately um, cause this, you know, when was this released? Was this in 77 or is
1: this? Uh, it does say 77.
0: Uh, available on music cassette and eight track tapes. 1978. Okay, 78.
1: There we yeah. go. Yeah. So, yeah. Which, pretty... by the way, even though it says available, we have thus far only been able to find cassette in the UK. records cassette. But yeah. that, could, that could be, see, I,
0: I'm wondering, this is one of those things about Discogs where it's just rather than being perhaps a complete kind of resource it's like well here's what's available and what you can get so i imagine there were 8 tracks of this but i've never seen 8 tracks listed on there maybe i'm just not looking also fair enough 8 tracks are terrible they're they're awful they're they're shitty cassettes that's that's what it is it's a it's it's a lesser technology that was like, a lot of the 8-track units are just, like, built into receivers. That's when I, when I was building my stereo system. Okay. There was a lot of, like, I was looking at, like, vintage receivers with 8-track things. I'm like, oh, that'd be cool, and it's just, like, not worth it. Like, not worth it for the fact that this is a receiver that probably doesn't work, you know, or has, like, a buzz or something like that, which happened. I, I bought a receiver early on that was like, oh, this is exactly what I want. Just the worst, worst, like, electronic buzz it probably just wasn't properly grounded or something like that. I, it probably could have been an easy fix. Um, sidetracked by
1: 8-track cassettes, which are terrible. That sounds awfully ironic. <laughs>
0: What's your, what's your kind of response to this like your natural response to this this record?
1: I think we both kind of had this interesting reaction. As I mentioned before of this incredible that's not the word I'm looking for. Incredulity? Incredulity? Incredulit yeah. incredulousness. I'll
0: just go with that. We, we could we couldn't help but listen to it and think, "Well, this isn't Star
1: Wars." They're the it's like this isn't the John Williams thing. The immediate reaction was to start comparing it to John Williams and why John Williams' composition was, was so, so much was so
0: good and was so significant to that movie. And it's just like, of course he was right to go with classic instrumentation. Star Wars is not a forward-thinking science fiction movie. It's functionally a tribute to classical cinema. And that involves classical kind of like space jockey sci-fi stuff. But like a fair amount of its look is like World War II movies and Akira Kurosawa films and stuff like that.
1: It's built to be timeless. Yes, there are science fiction and this futuristic right nature to it but it's not a story about right. the future but uh, uh
0: oh we were talking about this in the uh, uh earlier but just trying to contextualize like star wars at the time because it, star wars kind of comes up for a lot of people uh, uh in sort of like critical circles and i think uh who wrote about this um and talked about this on the nerdist podcast uh Shaun of the dead uh Edgar Wright? Uh, not, not Edgar Wright, um, though I'm sure Edgar Wright has certainly had some, some heated conversations about Star Wars.
1: Uh, uh, the
0: actor. Um, oh, um... Simon Pegg. Thank you. Simon Pegg talked about, I think, how he wrote a paper about like how, on some level, uh, uh, Star Wars is kind of the... I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit here. You should probably go back and he talks about some nervous podcast episode he was on. It sort of killed the momentum of what was going on in the 70s, this sort of new American cinema you know, uh, which included some traditionalists, they were, they were as much a part of that, like Spielberg and, and, uh, I think, is it, yeah, Bogdanovich is, is also part of that, but, you know, this is when you're getting, like, early Scorsese and stuff like that, and you're getting this kind of, like, not edgy cinema, but very, like, human intense kinds of, uh, uh, Pictures like the '70s is a big deal. Here, here is like all of these old cinema tropes coming into play in the biggest, hugest movie ever. It needed to have a classical score. That and was really the, important.
1: Exactly, and one of the interesting things that we found in our research that you know probably most people do know this, but in the same year that Star Wars came out, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind was also right. released. Again, another. Major movie about science fiction, science fantasy, but with also a was composed by John Williams, and in a complete one eighty out is known for its very particular synthetic rift. Right. Also, it's nice to
0: know because we I didn't know that it came out after Star Wars, so it's just like okay, Star Wars didn't obliterate like all like, it, it it probably Star Wars probably makes made people want to watch close encounters a bit more cuz i mean at that point people were going to see a spielberg movie because he was still like the new hot big thing great director going on so i imagine
1: that that that, that helped and of course we're also mid space race so anything right. space related is is space. A, is a hot topic for space, people space, 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 but i think the important thing here was the, the influence of, of soundtrack in in right. in america and that was cinema. a big deal
0: you know, John Williams is responsible for some of the most memorable music. Just like altogether, exactly. Like, uh, oh, there, there, there's a there's a cracked article about this that I I'm forgetting. Uh, you could probably look it up where they're talking about how one of the problems with a lot of like modern uh, uh, big cinema is that do you do you actually remember any of the music from uh, any of the Marvel movies?
1: Um, not Why is crack? Wisecrack. Hmm? Wise crack. It was wisecrack, that wise crack. Wise crack, and every frame of painting talked about um, the soundtracks of Marvel movies. Oh, being that's right, unmemorable. Right, right,
0: right. Yeah, and and look, there there's a lot of really really great electronic music that's on the horizon in film scores. Like we're actually kind of uh, John Carpenter is already starting to do that, but. What makes John Carpenter's stuff work is that uh, uh, we were talking about how in electronic music at the time, because we were listening to some examples, like Tangerine Dream managed to inject a lot of space into their stuff. Um, but it seems like German musicians were coming through with some of the more like, oh, like this is, I, I hate to call it palatable, but like with, with the perhaps an understanding of how you can make this work like expansive and stuff like that. Um, it was Wilson's... unfortunately
1: referenced as
0: Krautrock. Krautrock, which is, that's that's just the name for it, ultimately, unfortunately. It, 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 you have so many decades of it being directly associated with that name that that's just what it is. Or Cosmic Music, although I know some people don't like that label, but fuck it, we need to call it something. German Electronic Music from the 1960s into the 1970s and early 1980s.
1: German Electronic Music
0: gem. I'm just you're, gonna you're go going to go with that. That's actually not bad. I'm, I'm going with that. That's. I, I wish. That, that's actually That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's too bad we live now, and nobody's going
1: to care. Yeah. Well, to. we are committing <laughs> it to two records, so...
0: That's true. Um, we're leaving it to you, folks. We're leaving it to you, folks. But uh, but it's just like, okay, so Tangerine Dream does some really great stuff in the early 80s with movies. like They did the soundtrack for uh, uh, one of my favorite vampire movies, Near Dark. Um, you know, and I was saying John Carpenter and it's just like, so Patrick Gleason was, was definitely on point and, or what is it? When did, uh, uh th- this was a sixties movie and we're jumping back to Wendy Carlos, but, um, oh, damn, uh, uh, Clockwork Orange. Okay. He, he's definitely, you know, on point about like electronic music, uh, starting to creep its way into cinema is perfect. I think what makes this kind of weird to listen to is because of the fact that it's so overtly a classical kind of music score. It's big and dramatic and very emotional and and like like uh, uh, Leia's theme is one of my favorite examples of that. That's the ba da ba da da. It's like that's that's like a like a Lawrence of Arabia kind of. Like, you know, forties cinema, like almost like romantic cinema kind of
1: and the, kind and of the, angle that's going on there. The number of classic motifs and and, and ideas that are used throughout, like light motif and right and and I mean that's the one that usually I stick with because it's so important to remember, you know, the idea of a theme that is associated with a character or action. What makes it interesting to hear it this way and why it doesn't quite settle the same way is that we are very close to to the music of right. Star Wars. Star
0: Wars is on some level too important to us. This might have been kind of neat to listen to at the time as being like, whoa, quirky electronic thing, but to us, we can't help but just be like, this is neat, but like the Star Wars theme, like the opening theme as it is on Patrick Gleeson's thing sounds so flat
1: compared really to weird.
0: how huge, like, you know, bah,
1: bah, da, 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 like that's... that. that like, it has the same effect as the disco version of the Star Wars theme because it takes something that is very grandiose right. and has this emotional context and shrinks yeah. it down to this really weirdly flat, just, here's a beat right. with a familiar tune.
0: Right. But it, the the advantage to the Star Wars one is just like, oh, this is chintzy bullshit. Yes. That's what makes it... Whereas this, you can tell, is like somewhere... It's kind of like a serious experiment, you know. Like, he is trying to make, like, serious music. He's not just being a... But, You can tell that there is like some level of fun that's going on here and it was it wasn't just let's recreate John Williams thing it's let's let's make something new out of it using electronic music and be like how yes, technically it is a cover thing but it's like I personally my favorite cover songs are the ones that actually like kind of rearrange it in an interesting way um, which
1: another thing we've talked about before on this podcast standards standards um which this kind of feels like it's it's and I kind of made a mention of this to try and figure out some of the licensing and, and how it would work and how it works it, it's it's taking that sound the Star Wars sound and turning it into a standard right this is now a essentially like a an equivalent of, of cinematic jazz at, at least it's nowhere near as bad as listening to stuff that
0: like like I hate it when they do the And I know robot chicken has to do this sometimes Luckily, they've actually made Star Wars episodes. So I'm sure they got permission George Lucas was on one of the uh, The robot chicken things. Yeah, oh, like I, a bit that part. makes perfect sense So so it's just like okay, so sometimes they're allowed to use it but I love it when you see like the Star Wars opening title graphic that's built into a uh, uh, final cut and it's like, they use that, and then it's just like this, like, John Williams-y, this is at least easier to listen to than that, for the opening theme. Yes. But, talking about things we like about it, going to the fact that what I, the the A side of this is almost not memorable. It's just like, okay, that's neat. And your initial shock response dies, after, dies off after a while. But two tracks, the two tracks on the back, actually, you know what, three, I think cantina music droids and ben kenobi's theme are kind of brilliantly done on this record
1: yes i completely agree i think the cantina music in particular is very haunting right it has a a sound that just and do you want to end the episode with that so we can leave people with that you know no i I think
0: we're going to end it with the ben kenobi's theme because of what happens at the end of the ben kenobi's theme which we'll get to aha which is really cool but um but so the cantina music, it's like, oh, this is fun. This is the first time I can really see, like, this is, an, this is a reinterpretation that actually really expands on it in a way that's kind of fun. And perhaps it's just because the nature of the cantina music itself isn't meant to sound huge.
1: It's, it's meant to be intensely personal.
0: Right, right. It's, it's supposed to sound like music you're listening to in a club. It's not enveloping, you know, it's not enveloping you per se, but it's like there
1: in the presence of a room. I would almost like to hear this version of the music implanted into that scene and just see and just see how it kind of
0: works out. That would be that I might do that. I might do that.
1: If that if that comes up, we are putting that on the Facebook page. Actually, that sounds like a lot of
0: fun. I'd like to I'd like to see if I could time that out properly. But it just I'd have to get uh, a version of the movie that has the isolated um, dialogue, if that's plausible probably. Mm. Though I mean I could just overlay it and see how it see how it works just as a straight experiment. That'd be kind of neat. But the Cantina music is largely a success and it's it's a success because it's fucking crazy to listen to. Yes. Uh, it it's a really really awesome interpretation. The droid song is just weird as balls and I love the electronic voice saying R2D2 over and over again.
1: Yeah. Um, I will say I will say this, mm. and I think it's it's kind of the overall theme for the album. Um, it, this soundtrack for the movie would have never worked if it didn't have John Williams conducting it and, and basically creating this sound. Right. But the style that Patrick Leeson lays into that same style of music, taking it and, and reinventing it and adapting it, even the flat A side is an interpretation that is absolutely worth taking the time for. Yeah. It has just this entire concept behind it. I don't think I'd ever want to hear Patrick Leeson's idea for the movie. But the idea that he could take a very classic sound and and reinvigorate it into an entirely new beast right. is, is, is gratifying in a different way. Hmm. Uh, uh, while we're on that topic, because we were talking about this, I think, before we
0: started recording... Um, In relation to Wendy Carlos because you're thinking about or you're thinking here like okay, this is one of the first uh, uh, Switched on Bach. Jumping back to that. Yes. This is like one of the first like huge electronic records that kind of like everybody has and uh, Especially because when we did that episode we did is a direct comparison to the switched on Bacharach album, which was you you listen to both and it's like, okay, these are both reinterpretations of pre-existing music, you know using synthesized stuff and the back rack thing actually, on some level, tries to have a little bit more texture, but is either less successful because of the back rack part of it, or just the composer or the, 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 the person composing and arranging this, the, the synthesizer stuff. It's just not as compelling of a musician as Wendy Carlos.
1: And I would say that but, but what is it about
0: Wendy Carlos that made it so compelling to listen to?
1: I would say it is it is raw skill. I think what we have and, and we said so, someone
0: who had like a really, really deep understanding of what this thing was early on, beyond of, just a level of interest. Exactly. Of
1: music and how to apply it to what is at that time essentially a non-existent field. The idea of electronic music was literally invented in Wendy Carlos's head. Well, I mean, like, like there
0: have been kind of experiments, like, you know, like, the theremin and stuff like that, but this kind of, like, big sequenced, multi-layered kind of thing.
1: Yeah, especially since in that case, uh, for the Switched On Bach, we talked about at the time, there was no layering. This was... Every piece in that record was recorded separately, and then afterwards layered on top of each other. The Emu that Gleason works with has... Uh, I I had it had
0: was 12 channels right and enough modular bits and pieces that you know and and that's that's kind of the beauty of the thing that's why i enjoyed actually reading about it and kind of looking it up and it's worth it please do and it's spelled um how was it again e- e-mu e-mu emu systems is yeah was a software synthesizer audio face midi interface and midi keyboard manufacturer from 19 oh founded 71 um oh it's just that they kind of they, I guess they merged with someone and, and they were acquired. So I'm not sure if they're actually still producing products up until 2010. It, so was, it was the last thing that they had released. But that's a pretty significant. Yeah, 1973 Emu modular system. That is, that is the actual uh, synthesizer. Good... And th- that's the, the, the way it's advertised on the front. Yeah, Patrick Leeson, Star Wars, selections from the film prefer- performed on the world's most advanced
1: synthesizer. And so it's this is an advancement of the field. I think the main difference between Wendy Carlos and Patrick Gleason here is that when Wendy Carlos has set the scene for this piece of technology to be invented, and to be uh, created in a way that allows for something right. that could start to begin to represent the scale of yeah. John Williams. Well, and you
0: know we listened to the Patrick Gleason's uh, uh, interpretation of the Planets, um, which uh, oh what, what is the name?
1: Uh, Beyond, Beyond Patrick, the
0: Sun? Yeah, Beyond the Sun, uh, an electronic portrait of Holst of the Planets, which is 1976. Oh, so Patrick Lewis and Star Wars is 1977.
1: Um, Created, distributed. Right, but it's true. just
0: like, okay, so that's also an interpretation of a pre existing work, uh, you know, And but that was actually kind of cool to listen to. But I think maybe because that.
1: I, I'm trying to think. Because that's kind of a different beast maybe it was i think it's also again the same thing with the switched on bach there's so much distance between the original pieces that are being used to this Mm. interpretation and recreation that there's not this emotional tie and you can you can respect it's just harder for us
0: because it's star wars yes star wars is patrick leeson obviously has had a lengthy music career still alive uh, based out of the Bay Area, I think for, for
1: yes, both Emu and that's how we and able oh, and Emu Systems emo also was
0: originally Santa Cruz graduates assembled it. So fuck <laughs> yeah, go Slugs. This is before they were the Slugs, I think actually, yeah. but still.
1: Uh, but exactly that. It's this is a piece of technology that Patrick Gleason was actually a part of in in its creation for this project. Uh, he was in close proximity and worked closely yeah. with the developers. So. You know, the, our biggest problem with it is not that it's not well done. It's that we have just so much emotional tie right. to Star Wars that it's hard to sit down and say, oh, this is something we can respect on its own. It literally took time for us to understand that this is what was going right. on.
0: Well, and, and you know what? I Look, looking at Patrick Gleason's career has made me a lot more compelled to actually do the research and see his influence... You know, uh, on a lot of other electronic musicians that he performed with, and and bands that he performed with, and stuff like that. So, I think, you know, I mean, this isn't like us being like, oh no! At the end of the day, we're just sort of like, Patrick Lee's Star Wars feels like it's it's like an argument. Like this is this is like a thesis and a, it's it's an essay.
1: Exactly, it's, it's a yeah. philosophical essay, and I've written plenty and of perhaps, those. So.
0: Perhaps it's an interesting, if not entirely successful, thing. But the moments of it that are inspired are kind of awesome. Like, legitimately, the the Cantina thing, if if there's... This entire record is worth the Cantina thing. Um,
1: considering uh, you paid $5 for it.
0: Considering I paid 5 bucks for it, I, there was also another... If you're still listening to this, there might still be another copy left at Amoeba in Los Angeles for like 12 15. Okay. $15. i would actually say a worthy investment, just if you kind of like... This is the kind of record we make this show about. It doesn't really exist... In another form, I mean, except on YouTube. Except on YouTube, but you get what I mean. It's just like no, they they never made CDs of this, you know. Yeah, no. I'm kind of wondering. Let's actually let's check. Is this available on iTunes?
1: We're gonna find out right now. We're gonna find out right now. <laughs> that you are being <laughs> Windows <laughs> or, <laughs> or wow, Windows. Windows. The iTunes wants an update. Yes, your your <laughs> Apple computer wants to update Windows.
0: It wants to update Windows. I mean, I am dual booted, but that'd be weird if it was the Windows thing creeping into the Apple side, just being like, do you wanna? <laughs> uh, oh so, yeah, let's check. Patrick.
1: Let's just look up Patrick Gleason. In. Leon Oh. Paddock. Okay. Patrick. I can spell. Patick Pat, Pat, Patrick.
0: Pat, there we go. Patrick Gleason. Is that S- the same Patrick slide? Gleason? Slide? Variations on Philip Glass theme Is that it? Yeah, that's so this this and none of his his solo work is available on iTunes so here's an artist who may have to actually go out and hunt for a record and um, I'd say it's worth it to have Patrick Gleason Star Wars. This is actually kind of a neat thing to like to pull out and listen to Um, and
1: It's an experiment. It's but this is
0: this is cool. It's cool. I like it. It's, we, we sound like we're downing on it so
1: much and it's just like, no, it's still neat. This is why we have to express so much that it's worth it because it took two or three listens through in order for us to sit down and say, oh, this actually has a lot of merit on its own.
0: Right. It, it really does. It's not just like a kitschy kind of dumb thing. It's, it's really cool. Um... But yeah, no. If you can find a copy, go out and get it. Especially if you're a Star Wars person, I think this is—it's a non-official but amazing kind of uh, uh, timestamp. It's—it's like a real.
1: It has a lot more value than some of the Star Wars stuff. You, that's out. You,
0: yeah, you have a lot more to learn from getting something like this, or or like you know some of the fringy kind of cultural elements that surrounded Star Wars than you would hunting down like the fucking. Kenner action figure set which I mean I did see one of those in a antique store in San Diego that was kind of cool actually but True. I wasn't gonna buy that because I like Star Wars ship, but I'm not gonna spend three hundred dollars on toys it might have been more than that would it
1: be worth it if you could get either it was this in the Darth Vader the... head but, of course <laughs> um between this and the original Luke Skywalker action figure that had the double telescoping lightsaber versus the single
0: wait that that's a thing yes. that's actually a thing i this don't know this is actually about. a thing there's, and then there's the what is it there there's a Darth Vader that had a green lightsaber as opposed to a red lightsaber this that's one i'm not familiar with or but. is that just a that, i remember that was a thing from that 70s show that they brought that up which i'm willing to believe is legit because Telfer grace is a giant star wars nerd who made his own cut of the prequels okay he cut them together into a single movie. I feel like I need to watch that. It's not available anywhere. It's only been screened for like a handful
1: of people in a private setting. Eventually, he'll feel the need to release this it. This is I how hope. much
0: we care about Star Wars. That we're, We that know these things. If, if we didn't stop ourselves now, we would we would go on.
1: And this is why I you need to,
0: to listen it, to this whole <laughs> album. No, check it out. It's on YouTube. Um, so at least it's easy to find there. If you want to go out and find the record, it, it seems like it's like five bucks on Discogs. So it's going to be easy enough to find. Um, check it out. And, uh, I guess we'll end off with the, the Ben Kenobi theme, um, which you'll see why I liked it in particular at the end. So exactly. please stick, stick through all the way to the end of the track.
1: Yeah. And please, after you're done listening, come and let us know what you think. We're on the Facebook Come and let us know. We're on Twitter. Hit us up. Give us your thoughts. And uh, you know, if you think it wasn't worth your time, let us hear. It was worth your time. It was worth it. Oh yeah, this is I'm this is a foregone spoilers. conclusion. <laughs> you we, will enjoy. Should it.
0: we at least bring up that okay? That why why it's special is I don't know if we'll put this little snippet at the end. Is that it's it's a it's a it's a permanent loop. Oh yes, thank you. That's that's actually kind of another thing that makes it cool as a record. And I love it when you find out about stuff like this when you're listening to it. How,
1: is, do you have any other example of that being done? Uh,
0: I read about that recently that there 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 are examples of people adding permanent loops into the end because normally you know like uh, okay if, if for anyone who If nobody listens to our show five people listen to our show <laughs> now, I don't know anyone still listens to records But the whole thing is that you know because it's a single groove it goes all the way to the end and then it hits like a little loop so that way it just doesn't like Skip and go directly to the needle. It just it keeps going around and around in a circle until you wake up and remember to Take it off But the loop in this case still has the music track on it
1: So and it, it has keeps... a last repeating line over and over.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really cool um, I, I could put that after the fact, but I feel like if people go into it knowing that it might be cool I don't know. We'll see. I'll let it just keep like skipping on repeat endlessly for like five minutes. <laughs> This is going to be a 40-minute podcast. They're not going to...
1: Yeah, five extra minutes at the
0: end. (laughs) All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.
1: We'll see you on the flip side. Hey, everybody, thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of uh, our show here. I just wanted to cover a few notes uh, looking back through. Uh, One of the first things I wanted to mention is just uh, who Peter Lloyd is or was. Uh, He passed away in 2009, uh, but he was a graphic artist, uh, the youngest to graduate from the Art Center College of Design. Uh, During the 1960s, he worked for Playboy and Esquire. Uh, but most notably worked on Tron for Disney. And so uh, if you've seen the album cover for the uh, record for Patrick Leeson, then you will notice it as a very peculiar style. And it's really what he was known for, was this uh, very futuristic, but almost kind of, I don't want to say cartoony, but just very well known for a very particular style. And you can see it in a lot of his work. Uh, he also worked with uh, the Smithsonian and, Uh, did an IMAX documentary called Cosmic Voyage. Next, uh, Dan mentioned that there's a Mystery Science Theater episode uh, in the most recent season that came out. Uh, The title of that is Star Crash. Uh, It is episode 1106, so, you know, most recent season, episode 6. Wiki describes it as, A smuggler is tasked to lead a team in a quest across the galaxy to find and prevent the use of an apocalyptic weapon. Bet that sounds familiar. Uh, And finally, I wanted to delve in a little bit more into the career of John Williams. I know most people know his name and much of his work, but uh, it wasn't until I actually looked at a full list that I just was blown away by all the different projects he worked on. In particular, you know, he worked on the Star Wars trilogy and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but he also worked on the Indiana Jones trilogy, worked on uh jaws uh all kinds of works he did schindler's list saving private ryan uh worked on the harry potter movies he made the uh, iconic theme that you know from those he's just all over the place so uh if there's any modern american movie theme he was probably involved in it uh so yeah just go ahead and keep exploring all those fantastic works that he's worked on and dan
0: hi everybody um, so I'm just gonna finish off here with a couple notes of my own. Um, just two things. One, about 8-track tapes. I sort of mentioned that they suck, which is... Uh, from what I've heard true, I've never actually listened to an 8-track tape, though I do have one on my shelf right here. It's a... I think a Fats Domino tape, yeah. But, uh, mm, for reasons that perhaps I don't know as well, because I'm not as technically savvy as I'd like to be about... Uh, uh, how a lot of like physical audio mediums actually work outside of vinyl and vinyl. I'm still kind of learning about, um, but eight track tapes, I think it was just a lot of design flaws kind of led to them just like breaking down really easily. Like both the tape and the actual mechanisms, uh, that sort of made it work. Like would both kind of just wear out and break. Um, they became, I think more a thing if you had an eight track tear, eight track, tape player built into your car i can talk um so yeah unless you had the car or like had like a home unit that had it built in like you know it, that was that was the only reason you'd get them uh, audio cassettes ended up i think just being better in the long run also interesting thing they came out around the same same time the audio cassettes that you know uh assuming you are old enough or um hip enough to uh be an audio cassette person um and 8-tracks, they came out kind of around the same time. The final note is uh, I, I mentioned that 70s show, the, the green lightsaber Darth Vader. That wasn't actually a thing. They just made that up for the show. Um, but I did look up those two action figures that Kevin brought up, the uh, telescoping lightsabers, which Kevin had mentioned to me on the side uh, actually just now, um, that I guess the Luke Skywalker one especially, because there's a Luke Skywalker and a Darth Vader one. The Luke Skywalker one is just obscenely... Like, collectively expensive. Um, Kevin, what was the
1: price on that? I want to say somewhere in the realm of $20,000.
0: Well, shit. That is a lot of money for <laughs> for an old Kenner toy. Um, it's a Star Wars collectible. Of course, they're going to pay the money for it. But, uh, yeah, no, that's about it. Uh, I have for now. So uh, have a wonderful day, a wonderful night, if you're listening to this at night. Thank you for listening to this episode, and sincerely hope you check out the Patrick Leeson Star Wars record It is kind of cool. And it's on YouTube, remember, so you can look it up there. Bye, everybody. Thank you.